kids are doing these days. <laughs> impact their lives and you really end up coming back more impacted than anything. So make sure you're part of that if you haven't um, already signed up or sought more information. Well, my name is Wes. I'm one of the, hi Sigmund, what's up dude? Uh, I'm one of the area directors here and I have the privilege of sharing God's word with you today. We're going into, um, well, we're continuing conversation, a series that we've been going through called The Pursuit of Happiness. And it's a series on the Sermon on the Mount. It's a sermon that we have recorded by Jesus. It's one of the most famous uh, sermons that Jesus ever gave, the most popular. People around the world study and look at this thing. It's been dissected and ran through over and over and over. And I don't think it's just the most popular sermon that Jesus ever gave, but I also believe it's the most powerful. Jesus steps onto the scene and he's inviting people into the kingdom of God. He's stepping onto the scene and he's saying, Come, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God's kingdom is here. And see, people hear that, well, Jesus actually said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we get a little confused because we think Jesus came down and we hear repent and Jesus came down and said, change. Change, stop doing what you're doing. You've been doing the wrong things. Now do the right things. What's wrong with you? Change. Like they hadn't heard that before. Like that was something new. Like Jesus came from heaven to earth to tell people they needed to change. You see, when Jesus came down and said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it was an invitation to stop living separately from God's kingdom and to be a part of it, to walk into it, to see what life is like when you have access to God into his kingdom and what that's like. And so we're going to pick that conversation up. We're starting in Matthew chapter 7. And Jesus is breaking down relationships. He's breaking down how to interact. How are we to interact with those closest to us? How are you to interact with your best friends, your BFFs forever? How are you to interact with your parents, your brothers, your sisters, those closest to you, those that you know the best and those who know you the best? How do we do that? How do we approach that? Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open those up. We're going to start there. And if you don't, we have it on the screen for you. So read along with me. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, uh, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that is in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? When all the time there is a plank in your own, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is sacred do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone, everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. For which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? And if he asks him for a fish, will he give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? So therefore in everything do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity um, just to go into your word, to open up scripture. God, I believe that your word changes and it transforms us. It changes us from the inside out. God, I believe you can you can change our desires. You can change the way that we think. You can change the things that we want. You can change what we're living for, God. We can be new in you. 
And God, I pray that you would do that today. I pray that by the power of your spirit, we'd be, we would be changed. We would be made new. If anyone walked in here bound, would you help us to be free, Lord? So we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Anyone here ever written a love note? Nobody, huh? I get, I get it. You guys have text messages. Love notes are old. Some of you guys are still sliding into somebody's DMs as we speak. Yeah. All right, fellas. I promise you, slide up out of the DMs, get a piece of paper, write a cute love note, maybe have a box in there, check yes, check no, check maybe, check come back next week and see if you're out the friend zone. Just do whatever you got to do. A couple weeks ago, true story, a couple weeks ago I was in the office. Uh, I work here with my girlfriend and she works in the office across from me and I was walking over there to have a conversation with her, just say, hey, what's up, how's it going? And she wasn't there. Uh, she was running around working and I get there and so I'm thinking, I'm going to be a good boyfriend and I'm going to write her a sweet note and she's going to come back and find it later and she's going to love me more than she does and it's going to be great and everything's going to be perfect, right? So I sit down, I get to her desk and opened up is like her to-do list. She's super organized. It's like color-coded. Here are the 10 things I need to do today. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm just going to write a little love note. Hey, sweetheart, hope your day's going great. Just want, want to let you know I love you, proud of you, excited to see you later. Have a great day. Take notes, fellas. This is free. This is not a part of This is just for you, okay? Short, sweet, simple to the point. And so I'm like ready to go, and I'm like, I wonder where she's at. She's usually here about this time. And I'm going through the to-do list to figure it out. And so it's the basic stuff. Go to this meeting, write this email, check in on this, run this errand, go here, go there. And I get to the bottom, and the very last thing on the checklist says, write a letter to John. Now, John isn't actually the name, but for her privacy's sake, John was actually the name of her ex-boyfriend. So as I'm going through the to-do list, I'm thinking, why does she need to write a letter to John? And I'm trying to keep it cool. I'm like, it's not a big deal. It's whatever. They're still friends. It's cool. And so I leave, and I walk away, and I'm working in my office, and it keeps popping up, this idea about this letter. But of course, I'm trying to be like, it's all good. It's not a big deal. They're still friends. Friends write each other letters, right? I mean, I write letters all the time. Not really. Well, he's sick this week. Maybe, maybe she's writing like a get well note. Maybe there's something going on in the family. Uh, I write my ex's notes all the time, right? No, not really. And so I'd kind of seen her throughout the day. I saw her at lunch before I left, and it was kind of weird. And I was kind of like, ah, I don't know how to deal with this. Trying to act cool, but still, it's kind of bothering me, which is a great idea, guys. Just, you know, be standoffish and weird to your girlfriend without letting her know why. It always makes it better. And so then by the end of the day, she could tell something was wrong with me. And she was like, hey, hey, what's the deal? What's going on? You're being a little weird, to be honest with you. You're being a little bit rude, buddy. And so I was like, well, you know, I was... You know, I left you that note. You remember that? That note I left you? Remember, that was me. That note saying how I, I loved you and all that, right? Uh, yeah, well, I was going through the to-do list, and I noticed you said you needed to write a letter to, to John, and I just didn't know what that was about. Um, oh, and she's like, oh, 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 John, John, my cousin, who just got out of uh, the military, who's home now. Yeah, that John. I, I wanted to write him a letter, too, and I just... <laughs> Didn't understand why you didn't let me know. <laughs> you were a jerk to me all day because you thought I'd written a letter to my ex-boyfriend. Don't you trust me? Don't you love? I do, babe. I do. I promise. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
anyone in here ever jump to a conclusion? Anyone have that conclusion backfire on you? Yes, yeah, someone's like, preach, amen. We jump to conclusions. I jump to conclusions all the time. We can jump to conclusions based on what we've known about a person, especially people that we're close to. We've seen them interact in certain situations. We can make, we can jump to conclusions about people we don't really know. CDM kids can think they know what Harbor kids are like. Beckman kids can say they know what Woodbridge kids are like. You can judge someone or or jump to a conclusion based on what neighborhood they live in. I live in Costa Mesa, and people always ask me, well, what side of Costa Mesa? Do you live in, like, Costa Mesa or Costa Mexico? Which which one is it? And you jump to conclusions. They're like, you're pretty brown. You probably live in Costa Mexico. (laughs) Or we judge people based on the car they pull up in or the car their parent pulled up in, or we can make, draw conclusions based on The sport that you play, football players are like this, baseball players are like this, cheerleaders are like this. You can jump to those conclusions, right? And some of us say that's not so bad. But you have to understand there's a subtlety between jumping to a conclusion and leaping to condemnation. See, because we can jump to conclusions quite often, but we just don't realize how often we're leaping to condemnation give you an example of how this works. A guy and a girl go out on a date on a Friday night. Guy gets back to school on a Monday, talks to his boys about it. They ask, how'd it go? How was the date? So did you guys, uh, well, you know, did you guys? And guys always tell the truth about that, right? Guys always tell the truth to their friends about what happened on the date, right? Right. <laughs> and so then before you know it, people are jumping to conclusions about this girl. And before you know it, She's condemned. She's been labeled. She's been written off. We've isolated that person and written them off to be something. We've condemned them. Now it's not just a conclusion, but it's condemnation. You are this. You are that. And we begin to box people in and condemn them and write them off. We do this with each other. We do it based on the statements that we hear, especially from those closest to us, right? Those who you interact with all the time. Because we're not just jumping to a conclusion. When you can finish someone else's sentence and say, well, I know why you did that. You did that because you're a liar. Maybe you guys see this interactions in your homes when parents are fighting. Well, I know you. You're just a... And we use phrases like once a liar, always a what? Liar. Once a cheater, always a what? Cheater. And we condemn people. What about the person who's fallen into adultery, the person who's blown it and screwed up, who desires to change and be new and start over and be forgiven for that? Is there any room left for them to change? When we say, you know what, you cheated once, I know you cheat again. You can't be trusted. This is exactly what Jesus was talking about when he said, do not judge or you too will be judged. When he was talking about judgment, you guys have heard this. You guys have heard people say, don't judge me. It wasn't this idea of don't use your judgment. Don't be smart. Don't think through. Don't use wise judgment. Don't discern between right and wrong. Don't divide between 
the correct path to go or the wrong path to go. Jesus, in fact, says, use good judgment. Wisdom says you must have sound judgment. The word there in the Greek is krino, and it means to separate, to isolate, when he says don't judge. See, because when we say don't judge in our terms, not in the terms of Jesus, it means don't give a negative judgment. Don't jump to negative conclusions about me. I've never had a person walk up and be like, hey, Wes, do you work out? I've never responded like, don't judge me. You're looking at me thinking, you know what I do on the weekends, buddy? Back off. I'm always like, well, you know, a little bit here and there. (laughs) See, whenever it's something positive, if a guy's ever complimented a girl on her hair or on her outfit, and they're like, do not judge me. Trying to say I'm beautiful or something? You need to back up. I don't know who you think you are. See, those are positive judgments. So when we say don't judge, we just mean don't say anything negative. Jesus is cutting deeper than that. He's saying don't write people off. Don't condemn people because condemnation gives birth to what? More condemnation. You ever condemn somebody and been closer to them after? Man, just the way you, you killed my dreams the other day, told me I'd never change, I'd always be the same. I just feel like we're so much closer now. Thank you. Condemnation kills. Condemnation ends relationships. It doesn't allow you to connect. When we walk around and we condemn people that way, Jesus says this isn't so. He even gives an example. Aaron, can you throw up the first uh, six verses in there? He gives an example in verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out, when all the time there's a plank in your own? Now, sometimes we get confused and we think Jesus is saying, hey, don't judge people because you got your own issues and they're bigger than the other person's. You have issues the size of a plank while other people have this speck in their eye. Now, Jesus is trying to speak to this idea that condemnation isolates and it separates. When you've condemned your brother, your sister, when you've condemned your parent and you have them all figured out and you say, I know exactly what you're like, and you manage them and you control them, and you condemn them that way, you're putting them at a distance. Jesus is saying, how far away or how close do you have to be to see dust in someone's eyes? You're claiming to see a speck in someone's eye, but you've got to really be up in someone's personal bubble to see sawdust in their eye, don't you? How could you possibly say you see a speck when there's this plank of condemnation between you and them? There's this plank, there's this log that separates you. You're standing far at a distance because you're still condemning and you're still judging, yet you claim to be able to see close enough to see a speck in their eye? Condemnation creates distance. When we judge each other, when we interact in a way that's condemning. We keep everyone at a distance, and usually for our safety. Uh, moving to this area, I'll be honest with you, was really difficult in the beginning because I was ultra-condemning of everyone. I, I was judgmental. I was condemning. I assumed that because I was different, I wouldn't be accepted. I assumed that because I didn't have what was around me, I'd be rejected. So I condemned and kept everyone at a distance and said, you know what? I don't want you to be close because ultimately when we're condemning we're just controlling people you stay in your box 
and I know what to do with people like you. You stay there. You stay in this box. I know what to do with people like you. You stay here. And no one get close enough to ever touch me or ever to hurt me or to ever really impact who I am. And isn't that so much like the high school experience? Everyone fits in their box, right? The athletes, the party people, the theater kids, the band kids, we all put people in their boxes and in their areas. You're part of my close friend group that I share everything with. You're part of my acquaintances where I share some stuff. And you're the person I just say hey to in the hallway. But it's all for our safety so that we can manage them and say, here you are. This is what Jesus is speaking to. And he gives one more example in verse 6. He says, don't give what is sacred to dogs and do not give your pearls to pigs or your pearls to swine for they'll trample it under their feet and then take a bite out of you. Now, I've heard this verse preached in so many ways. I've heard it preached in churches where we say, see, and this is where Jesus says, don't, don't give your pearls. And we even call the pearls or these things of a great value, the gospel. Don't give them your good things. Those swine, those dogs, don't give them what's holy. Don't give them your best or they're going to turn on you. And so we use that to, to do what? To condemn people. Like Jesus is saying the opposite of what he just said. He just said, do not condemn. And then we use verse 6 to say, but there are pigs and swine and dogs, and some people you just shouldn't give your best to. There are those people who will just never accept your invite to church. Don't even bother inviting that person. That kid drinks, he smokes. Do you hear the way that he cusses at school? That kid's swine. Don't invite him. There's no purpose in bringing him out here. Don't worry about it. Don't throw your pearls to swine. If that's the case, Jesus being God's pearl, the most valuable thing God had was himself, and he gave it to us. His whole ministry is that of throwing pearls to swine. Jesus himself was so valuable, more valuable than any pearls, yet he gave himself to us, broken, dirty people who didn't have it figured out. So then what is Jesus saying? It was really simple, actually. What's a dog going to do with the Bible? If you were to give him something sacred, what's your dog going to do with it? Tear it up, poop on it, pee on it, whatever. What's a pig want the most? Why are they pigs? When I eat and stuff my face with food, you might call me a pig because I'm doing what? I'm eating. The point Jesus was making as he's talking to this group of farming people was you're giving them things that can't help them. Why would you give a dog a crucifix and a Bible? What's he going to do with it? Give him water. Give him food. Why are you going to give a pig some pearls? What's the natural response of a pig going to be to step on the pearls and try to bite you? Well, let's make this modern. If I were to take my iPhone and throw it to a pig, and the pig steps on it and tramples it, who looks like the idiot? Me or the pig? Who looks dumb? But sometimes you use that verse to blame the pig, right? Stupid pig, I gave him an iPhone. See, this is why I don't waste your time on pigs. They just don't know what to do with the right stuff. You see, we like to condemn people 
We like to control them, keep them at a distance. And then from a distance, we like to solve them. We think that people are problems to be solved. I was a coach, a football coach for six years, and I'd always have dads yelling from a distance from the stands. Maybe you've been one of those dads, some of y'all. I forgive you. And you're calling down plays to the coach. You should have ran this play. You should have done this. And we have people judging us and telling us what to do from a distance. From far away, like you're not even close to me, yet you want to tell me how to live out the minute parts of my life? What am I supposed to do with that? See, I kind of messed up the love note thing. I was going to say this is something I did right, but it's kind of not. <laughs> Sometimes when days are hard here and work's hard and life's difficult, and I go to talk uh, to Taylor, and I'm just like, sweetheart, today was really rough and really difficult, and I'm just like gushing and emotionally pouring myself out. Don't judge me. You're judging me right now, guys. Leave me alone. And then... Every once in a while, she'll like throw out a solution. Well, you know, if you just did this or you rearranged your life or you had this going on, and like, don't try to solve me. Just be there and listen. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about. See, we think that the kids who party and who drink and who cuss need us to solve them. Like, they need you to bring your Bible out and solve them. And sometimes you feel that way because you feel like your parents are trying to solve you. You've been condemned, you've been judged, and now you're a problem to be solved. Jesus is saying, I did not come to solve problems. I came to seek people. There's a difference. And we're called to do the same. Verse 7, he goes into his next point. And his next point is important because he's telling us two things. We need to close the distance, and we need to go and know people. If condemnation creates distance, Jesus says, you know what you need to start doing? Start asking people questions. Don't try to solve them. Don't try to fix them. Ask. Ask. And then he says, seek. Go seek them out. He says, go knock on their door. And you know what's going to happen when you start asking? They're going to start answering your questions. When you seek them out, you're going to find them. When you knock on the door, you're going to hear from them. They're going to be there. Jesus modeled this perfectly for us. In Jesus' ministry to people, in your own life if you're a Christian, Jesus came and he asked questions. He sought you out. He knocked on the door of your heart and said, I'm here. That was what Jesus did while he spent his life here. Jesus didn't spend his life condemning people, judging people, casting people aside, putting people in their groups. No, he invited everyone in. He asked questions. He wanted to know what they did that week. He wanted to know how stuff was going at work. He wanted to know how things were going with their families. And as we watch Jesus live out his life, we see a whole lot of asking questions, a whole lot of seeking, and a whole lot of knocking on doors. And as you jump into the next few verses, Jesus, Jesus takes us to the next level. Um, and you guys have like a next level friend? You guys don't know what that is yet? Next level? Like, I'm going to put Sam Yoon on blast. Sam, Sam's in the back doing, doing some of our tech stuff. Sam is what I call a next level friend. Uh, you got your friend who takes stuff to the next level. Like, you're hanging out, and there's that person just doing too much. Just 
just going to the next level, just taking jokes to the next level, like we're having a funny conversation and Sam's got to go to the next level and just like, ah, 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 too far, too far. We're in office, you just can't say that. You know, we're kind of like casually listening to music as we drive to lunch and people are dancing and Drew kind of gets next level sometimes and he's just like all out there and dancing, next level. Taylor, we're talking all the time. We'll be talking. We're having a conversation with her parents. These are the parents of my girlfriend, and we're talking, and some girl had made a comment about me in the presence of them that might have made them uncomfortable. And Taylor, while I'm standing there with her mom and her dad, says, yeah, well, they can look, but they don't get to touch like me. And I'm just like, that's next level. What are you doing? What? You can't just say what comes into your thought process. I want your mom to like me. And it's just that awkward, like, well, uh, I gotta go to the bathroom, guys. I'll see you later. Jesus takes things to the next level right here. He says, I'm asking you to go know people, not condemn them, not judge them, not solve people, but go and know them. And then he says, you need to do it exactly the way you interact with me. And then he brings it from the horizontal relationship to the vertical. Read along in verse 9. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks him for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He goes next level. He says, yeah, I want you to operate and relate that way with each other, but I want you to operate and relate that way with me. So yes, ask people. Learn to relate that way. Learn not to jump to conclusions or lead to condemnation. Don't solve people, but actually get to know who they are. Invest in people. And he says, the way you relate there, you can relate with me. It doesn't have to be any more complicated than any other relationship in your life. The way you interact simply with one another, you can interact with me. And when you interact with me, remember who I am. Remember that I'm a good father. Remember that I care about you. Don't jump to conclusions or leap to condemnations about me. I avoid so many conversations with God because I've leapt to conclusions. I've leapt to condemnation. I already know what God's going to say. I already have him figured out. God is in his box, and I know what he's going to say, and I know there's no point in talking about it because I've boxed God up. God says, no, let's talk about it. Don't condemn me. Don't judge me. Don't put me in a box that makes you comfortable, but let's talk. Come knock on my door. Come ask me questions. Know that I'm a good father, and I'll give you what you need if you ask, but please ask. Don't put distance between us. Close that distance. Come and know me. Be there. Don't be isolated. Don't be separated. And then finally, our last verse. Jesus says this in verse 12. So, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. That's pretty simple, right? That's called the golden what? Hey, Bible scholars here. The golden rule. 
so in everything. See, this, this statement's not isolated. That so, even in the NASB, another translation, it says, so therefore. That means it's connected to everything that was said before. So therefore, in everything, treat others the way you want them to treat you. In everything. So I, I don't want people to condemn me, so I can't condemn them. I don't want to be judged. I don't want to be boxed in. I don't want people to come and kill off my hopes of ever changing or ever being anything new. I don't want to be stuck here under this condemnation. I don't want to be stuck under this curse. I feel like the only people that come out of my family are these types of people. I'm never going to be better than the family I was born into. I'm never going to go past this. I'm never going to get beyond this issue. I'm never going to be smart because that teacher said I was dumb. I'm never going to be more than just some athlete. I'm never going to be noticed. I'm never going to be the best. I'm only going to be second best or average. I'll only be a B student. I'll never be exceptional. I'll never be worth noticing. You see, the real reason we can't stop condemning others is because we can't stop condemning ourselves. This applies exactly the way it did when Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. You can't love your neighbor until you start to love yourself. You can't stop condemning those around you until you stop condemning yourself. See, your greatest challenge isn't to stop judging everyone around you. It's to stop judging yourself. It's to stop condemning yourself and carrying around this weight that says you can't go any higher than this. I've condemned you to live here, and you can't go past it. How would we ever go and know people? How would we ever spend time with people and lead them out of that when we live under it? Romans 8 verse 1 says this, So therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for any of us. And I know that verse, I've read that verse, I've memorized that verse, and I've preached that verse, but can I be the first to say that, yeah, I still condemn myself all the time. Because we live in a world that likes to make perfect God instead of a God who is perfect. What is God? What are we all trying to be? What are we all trying to show everyone that we are is perfect. And that's our God, and we try to make that God happy, this God of perfection that says, you got to be this, and if you're not this, you're condemned as less than. Instead of saying, God, you are perfect, so I don't need to be. God, you sent your son so that I could be free from condemnation. I could be free from wearing a label, so I could be free from being boxed in my whole life. There's no condemnation for us, yet we walk in it. See, I was judging people in my community. I was judging people at our church. I was judging people around me because I myself had been judged. I had already judged myself. I had already condemned myself. And until we're ready to stop condemning ourselves, we can never be close enough to have the relationships that Jesus asked us to, that Jesus called us to. We can never actually be free from that. God wants you to be free. God doesn't want you carrying weight or holding that. But he desires for you to be free.
you guys all bow your heads and pray with me? God, I just want to invite you in at this moment, Lord. God, would you speak to each and every one of us? Would you help us to see the places that we've condemned people, whether we've condemned a family member, whether we've judged them in our hearts, we've decided who they are, we've made a decision about them, we've isolated them, whether it's a friend and we've isolated them. God, help us to see where we've done that. And God, help us to see where we've judged ourselves, where we've condemned ourselves, where we've defined ourselves maybe by our failures or maybe by the failures of our family members. Maybe we've defined ourselves by the divorce. Maybe we've defined ourselves by the abandonment. Maybe we've defined ourselves by the abuse. Maybe we've defined ourselves and condemned ourselves that way. God, I pray that you would help us to know, help us to understand and walk free, not condemned, but know that there is no condemnation in you, Jesus. That you have taken that condemnation, that you have taken all of our sin, all of our brokenness upon yourself so that we could be free. That we don't have to spend another second, another minute, another hour carrying the weight of condemnation on our shoulders. Carrying the weight of what we've done or what someone else has done to us or around us to, to, to those that we love. We can be free from condemnation today. We don't have to bear that weight, not another moment. So help us, God, to not condemn ourselves. And even when we condemn ourselves in our own hearts, we know that you are greater. So God, would you lift those burdens? I'm going to ask some of you guys to do something somewhat brave. Not somewhat brave, very brave. For anyone who's ever condemned themselves, you just know how heavy it is and you know how you can't get past it. Well, I'm going to pray for you guys, but I'm just going to ask that you do something. I'm going to give you two reasons why. I'm going to ask that you raise your hand if you've been condemning yourself so that I can pray for you, I can know that I'm praying with you. And I think that it seals it for you because then you know and you're acknowledging, God, I need you to step into this part of my life. I need you to take this from me. But I'm going to ask that you do, do it for one other reason. Do it for yourself. And number two, I'm going to ask you to do it for those around you so that they know they're not the only person with their hand raised in the room, that they're not alone. They're not the only one dealing with condemnation. They're not the only one dealing with weight. Sometimes we like to keep our issues to ourselves, to our own detriment and to the detriment of our communities. So if you've been carrying condemnation, if you've been carrying that weight, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand right now. You guys lift them up. Hold them up. You guys look around. You're not alone. You're not alone. You're not the only person walking through life feeling condemned. You're not the only one feeling condemned for what you've done or what others have done around you. 
God, I thank you for every person who was brave enough and bold enough to raise a hand up today and say that they've been carrying that weight. And God, I believe that you're a good father and you want to take that weight. Remind us of who you are, Jesus. Remind us of everything that you've done. Remind us of your great love for us that loved us before we ever knew you, that loved us while we were yet sinners. God, would you remind us of that? Would your Holy Spirit stir in our hearts to lead us to remembrance of that, God? And would you take the weight from the shoulders of your children as you're a good father and you want to? So I thank you, Lord. I love you, and I pray that you would. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to go into a time of worship, um, and would you continue to pray? Thank you.